Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Staycation booked? It's finally time for that well-deserved holiday. Forget packing the kitchen sink. Simply order your shopping online at supervalue.ie and we'll deliver everything to your holiday home, caravan park or Airbnb. Believe in a summer to savour with Supervalue Online Shopping. Welcome to another episode of Talking Points, Planet F1's podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing opening races, underrated races, and some persistent rumours that just won't go away. By we, I mean myself, Finley Kroboda, and the Planet F1 editor, Michelle Foster. Michelle, how's it going? Good, Finny. Another, uh, another long week of uh, waiting for Formula 1 to get started, but, you know, we're surviving. Yeah, uh, getting closer and closer by the day. Well, I hope so, at least. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to open the episode by discussing what could open the season, uh, something that I'm sure most people are wondering. Um, so, yeah, there's been various reports about it. There's race fans reported that Austria would start the season before we'd head to Silverstone for as many as three races. There's still been talk that a Melbourne start is possible, and... Just today, Helmut Marker came out and said that uh, it could start with Austria kicking off the season with a Sunday race and then moving to a Wednesday night race, which sounds pretty interesting. Um, first things first, which which of these do you think uh, Austrian Grand Prix uh, a good location to start the season? Yeah, I think Austria is very much looking as the as the firm favourite to start the season at the moment. Um, although France hasn't officially cancelled its race, it does look like it's just a matter of time, given that their their ban on mass gatherings has been extended. Um, whereas Austria is kind of bucking the trend and saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give this horns, we're gonna keep racing, and uh, the government has said they won't stand in the way of it. Um, and remember, Austria is also owned by Red Bull Racing, and Red Bull was one of the teams that really did want to race in Australia. So they're going to be doing everything they can to get the season underway as soon as possible. And so yeah, Austria starts in July, because uh, I think we're all holding thumbs for that one. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good idea. I think geographically it's much better than Australia, uh, considering the teams are mainly based in Europe. So I, I think it works better from that perspective. Um, and it, it's a good it's a good race, you know. I think last few years it's been really entertaining. So yeah, I think it's good. Uh, what interesting thing is all this talk about you know multiple races going on uh, at one track within the space of a few weeks. So obviously there was. The report from race fans that said three three races at Silverstone. Um, now there's this with uh, Helmut Marko's comments, which said there could be two day events with one race on the Sunday and another on the Wednesday. Do you think that kind of that kind of structure would work for for tracks? Yeah, I think it would be great. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all saying, at least for now, that the races will be behind closed doors. So it's not like they're looking to sell tickets and they're going to have one race half sold out or anything like that. It's pretty much a case of broadcasters will be there. There might be one chap with a camera around his neck. Um, and that's that's about it. Other than that, it'll be the Formula One teams. So I really like Helmut Marko's suggestion for a Sunday race. He's also saying two-day race weekends. So everything will be the Saturday-Sunday, and then again the Tuesday-Wednesday. And I think that might work better than, than Ross Bourne's suggestion of three races on one weekend off. Because if you did sort of Sunday and Wednesday, then you could have the next weekend off. Um, and then the following week again, Sunday, Wednesday. So you, if they want to put 15 to 18 races into five months, it's going to be one hell of a bumper season uh, for the mechanics and things like that. It's going to absolutely drain them. Uh, so, yeah, I quite like this idea because I think it'll, even though it's, it's compact, it still gives the teams a bit of breathing room in between events. And the other thing Formula One's talking about is doing everything in Europe. That way they don't have to t- spend 14 hours or whatever it is flying to Australia or over to Brazil or something like that. Uh, that'd be a bit of a bummer, losing some of those races, because I'm, well, Brazil especially, I'm a huge fan of that, of the Interlagos circuit. But that's another way that Formula One can possibly get in as many races as it can. So, yeah, I'm open to two races in Austria. I'm open to three at Silverstone. Silverstone's one of those tracks that you can change the configuration, so it wouldn't be the exact same corners, the exact same race. Um, Spain has also said it's open to two races, but their track can't be changed. There are too many fast corners there that if you ran in reverse, it's up. It could be a, an accident waiting to happen. So if we do have two Spanish GPs, it will be two in the exact same layout, unfortunately. Yeah, I've been uh, seeing so many kind of videos uh, on YouTube of you know uh, people on iRacing and stuff like that doing doing tracks backwards to see if it works, <laughs> which I never never thought I'd be seeing. But uh, yeah, and there's some of them that, that do work. You know, I, I think Silverstone's a possibility. Um, the I'm sure the French track could be that configuration could be changed quite a bit considering its layout. Um, yeah, it would, it would suck, I think, having races only in Europe, because I think Brazil, uh, Montreal, Mexico, they're some really good ones outside of Europe that would be a real shame. Um, Singapore, Suzuka as well. So, yeah, that would be a shame, but I mean, at this point, I'd take anything, you know? <laughs> um, I wouldn't be complaining too much if we just have a, just a European season, you know? It's, uh, it's a lot better than nothing. I think that's probably pretty likely at this point that they that, that we won't leave Europe for this upcoming season, don't you think? 
Yeah, it makes sense not to leave Europe. It means shorter flights. It means more races in, in less time. Um, I think from a health and safety point of view as well, the shorter flights part will be a big thing. You could also probably put your drivers in their own car and let them drive from track to track without having for them to mix with the mass population. Um, so yeah, Formula One taking place in Europe, like you say, it would be a bummer because there, there are some brilliant tracks outside of Europe. But yeah, it makes it makes financial sense as well for the teams. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Um, well, obviously, we'll keep you all posted on what is actually going to happen on the website. So keep an eye out, and uh, yeah, if if I if I end up having to write a story about a confirmed first race of the season, it might just be the happiest I've ever been about writing a story. Um, so moving on, we're going to discuss. Um, well, we we discussed this in the last episode, so we won't go too in depth into it. But there's been a it could be a significant new development, um, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and it's Toto Wolf and the rumors linking him to Aston Martin. So they've been around for a while. There's been talk that he's been kind of unhappy at Mercedes, looking to leave, um, buddying up with Lawrence Stroll to kind of plan joining Aston Martin for the 2021 season. Um, and now it's come out that he's bought shares in the company. Um, he's invested. So he's reportedly bought a, stake of just under 5%, but the rights issues were diluted to make it worth around 1% of the company. And he's come out and said, it doesn't really mean much. Don't read anything into it. It doesn't affect my role or anything. It's more kind of just a financial investment. Do you think it changes much? Do you think it kind of adds fuel to the fire in terms of these rumors? I think it very much does. I mean, you remember, Total Wolf at one stage also had Williams shares, yeah? And then, uh, and then kind of Threw his threw his hat into the ring with Mercedes and uh, sold those Williams shares and now he's uh, yeah now he has bought Aston Martin shares and apparently it's it's a very well insignificant amount in the in the world of Toto Wolf uh, I'm pretty sure for you and I it could be quite a considerable lump sum mm-hmm. but yeah it does it does definitely throw the cat among the pigeons on this one my my first reaction I, I kind of saw it is like oh okay that's a confirmation he's definitely off to Aston Martin um. And then I, I read his comments. I mean, they're comments that you'd expect him to make considering he's still on the contract at Mercedes. But I mean, what other, what other incentive would there be for doing it if he's not looking to join Aston Martin in some capacity in the future? Um, I don't know. Maybe he has a, a lifetime plan to have owned shares in every Formula One team that's on the grid. Who actually knows? But yeah, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, like I said, he was, he was with Williams and he had shares in Williams. He then moved to Mercedes and subsequently sold those Williams shares, bought Mercedes shares. And now, yeah, now he's bought Aston Martin shares. So you're kind of thinking, well, as far as history goes, it, it looks like he might be making the move at some stage. Um, he's adamant he's not, at least for now, short term, but he is in talks with Mercedes. So who knows? Who really knows? Only Total Wolf knows what his plans are for the future, and maybe it's just a really solid business investment. Again, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we really don't know, but history, history says he kind of could be on his way to Aston Martin. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, I mean, with a guy with that much money, I guess it could genuinely just be a business investment, um, which, well, that'd be boring after everyone gets so excited about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I, I think it, I couldn't really see him leaving Mercedes, to be honest, especially for 
what's effectively Racing Point, just, you know, a different name for next season. But, yeah, I think these these rumours did kind of change my mind on that. I think now I can see it happening a lot more. And if he were to join, do you think it would be in a team principal role or would it be something more um, corporate, less directly involved with the with the uh, race weekends? I mean, Sada is one of those guys who really seems to enjoy that team boss role. I mean, we've all seen how invested he gets in Grand Prix. I mean, he's he's there banging the tables, yelling in frustration, and more often than not, yelling in joy as well. So I don't see him taking a backroom role, at least for now. Maybe it's something he wants to move into in the years to come. But, uh, but yeah, I think if he does step up to, to Racing Point, he will want his, his hands to be on the wheel quite firmly. Yeah, well, we'll obviously see how that unfolds in the future. Um, if it is really for 2021, then we'd expect to see some kind of, uh, you know, official announcement fairly soon. I mean, in the next next few months, I guess. Um, well, yeah, you'd think so. I keep forgetting that it's April, the end of April now, because the F1 season hasn't actually started. But yeah, um, I mean, we're not too far off silly season, are we? <laughs> Strange thought. Uh, speaking of silly season, next up, uh, Daniel Ricciardo's future in the sport. For whatever reason, there's been a lot of talk about it in the last few weeks, actually. Um, in the Pink Podcast, Christian Horner was on it. Um, and he basically said what he's been saying for quite a while, that he just can't get his head around why on earth Daniel Ricciardo ever left Red Bull for Renault, saying, I was disappointed at the time because I put a lot of trying into retain Daniel and get him to stay. Uh, I just couldn't understand his decision making. If it was for Mercedes or Ferrari, I could have understood that. Uh, but if I take off my Red Bull hat, I can understand his logic behind the move that he made. I mean, this isn't you, obviously. Hon has been saying this for quite a while. And then Daniel Ricciardo came out and spoke about it himself, where he actually didn't rule out a Red Bull return. Um, yeah, he said on Sky Sports Vodcast, would I ever rule out going to Red Bull? No. I think something I've learned growing up in life is never say never. So on that note, Obviously, Daniel Ricciardo's contract at Renault is coming to an end date. Um, could you see him going back to Red Bull at any point? Obviously, they may be on the lookout for a uh, driver for next to Verstappen if Albon doesn't doesn't perform as well as they hope. Um, no. No, fair enough. What in terms of where else he could go? What do you think his main options are if he does look to leave Renault? I think the only way Daniel Rick is leaving Renault is if Ferrari open up a seat. So if Vettel steps aside, um, I think he will he will make a play for that Ferrari seat to facing competition. But otherwise than that, I pretty much see him re-signing for Renault for at least another two years. Um, he's never going to go to Red Bull and team up with Max Verstappen again. Uh, the fact that Christian Horner and Max and Helmut Marko and pretty much everybody after he left turned around and mocked him for running away from the Verstappen flight, yeah, I just don't think there'd be that love and that feeling of like he's going to get equal treatment if he does step up into, let's be honest, what is Max Verstappen's team? I mean, I'm pretty sure Alexander Alden is well aware of the fact that he drives for Max Verstappen's Red Bull team. And for Alex, that's fine. For Daniel Ricciardo, that's not fine. He's a, he's a number one driver. He's a guy who wants to be fighting for the world titles right here and right now before time runs out. 
So yeah, I think his options are Ferrari or Renault, of which it's pretty much sounds that at least for 2021 it will have to be Renault because it looks like Seb's going to be staying at Ferrari. Yeah, I think that's a good point you make about the way that Horner and Marco have kind of treated Ricardo's exit and, you know, they have said that he's basically, you know, been running scared from Verstappen. And I just think that's a pretty terrible idea on their part because there's no guarantee that Verstappen's going to stick around there forever. Um, I mean, if it comes to a point where they still haven't improved in a few years, I think he's bound to leave for probably Mercedes when Hamilton goes. Uh, I guess Ferrari's a possibility, less so because of Leclerc. But, I mean, yeah, they're not going to have Verstappen forever. And they're in a position where their young driver program isn't exactly yielding the, the gold it used to. So w- when Verstappen does leave, I think Daniel Ricciardo could have been a pretty pretty good option to replace him and to be number one in the team like he's done before. But yeah, I think like you said, Red Bull have kind of burnt all those bridges with the way they've reacted to his exit, to be honest. Yeah, very much so. But you got to remember as well that uh, Danny Rick's now 30. He's going to be 31 in two months' time. Um, and Max is signed to Red Bull until the end of 23, I believe it is. So I don't see Danny at the age of 34 returning to Red Bull to lead their charge. Um, I, what, one can only assume that Christian Horner and Helmut Marko are hoping by then that they've managed to find their next Max Verstappen, whether that's an Alexander Albon or some other youngster just out of diapers like they did with Max. You know, it's uh, there's no, like you said, there's no one quite on the horizon yet for Red Bull, but uh, you never know what could be knocking in the next three years. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's easy for a driver to just kind of come out of nowhere, I guess. Well, at least for those outside of the sport. Um, I mean, I didn't know much about Max Verstappen before he burst onto the scene as a 17-year-old. So, uh, yeah, who knows what could happen. In terms of Ricardo, I just, I do really hope he finds himself back in a top seat, you know, being able to fight for podiums, even wins. Um yeah, I, I think at this point a, champ, a world championship may be out of reach for him, which is a huge shame. Because I do think he's good enough to have won one if he, you know, is in the right place at the right time. Um, but yeah, I, I just hope he gets back to a spot where he can actually compete for wins, race wins at the very least. And to be honest, I don't know, I could be wrong. Maybe the regulation changes will really throw things up um, in a way that they're hoping it will. But I just can't see that being at Renault, to be honest. Um, can you see them getting to that point? Not Like you said, not unless the regulations really in 2022 shake things up. Um, I don't believe they have they have the car for it this season, which is basically next season as well. So, no, um, I'd really like to see Danny Rick on the podium this year or next year, but even that I'm not sure is going to happen. Yeah, and I think with the regulation changes being delayed as well, that's just going to... Well, obviously it hurts Renault because they've got a year longer having to run with these regulations where they do struggle to break free from the midfield. Um, and yeah, it's it's something that maybe Ricardo's going to look at and think, oh, do I really want to spend another year after this fighting for 8th and ninth rather than 1st and 2nd, you know? Um, talk about his future wasn't the only reason he was in the news this week. As... While many F1 drivers are taken to esports, you know, setting up their simulator setups, Ricardo's kindly decided to write a diary on social media each week, which will be fun going forward, I'm sure. So in his first entry, he named his five most underrated drivers in Formula One. 
Now, these are drivers that he's raced against in his time. And he went for Marcus Ericsson. He went for Jules Bianchi, Tonio Luizzi, Robert Mary, and Jensen Button. And obviously, unsurprisingly, this kicked off a lot of discussion. So we thought that we'd ask all of our readers and listeners to, we'd push them a bit harder. We wouldn't let them give us five like Ricardo did. We asked them all to give us one underrated driver, specifically the most underrated driver they've seen in their lifetime. So we'll just read a few of those out and discuss them. Um, so going to Twitter first, uh, Alex Davy got in touch and he said, I think Sergio Perez, um, I think being dropped after one season in the middle of a road McLaren was incredibly harsh. Equally, he's taken multiple opportunities for podiums when they were there. Um, and yeah, unsurprisingly, Perez was a really popular option. He's kind of the option I expected the most, to be honest. I think a lot of people think that. Which I guess, if so many people think he's underrated, is he really underrated? But anyway, um, yeah, this is one I agree with. Uh, how about you? I, I know you're quite a fan of Perez. Um, so yeah, I guess you agree with Alex here? Sergio is very underrated. He's he's a good driver who kind of sit and think, why is he not in one of the, the top three teams? But, I mean, yeah, he just doesn't seem to have had the luck. Maybe you could argue the fact that the same sort of went with Nico Hulkenberg. Because there was so much talent there. And in Formula 1, you need talent and a really good car. And both of them always seem to be missing out on the really good car part. Yeah, I think that's... A trend uh, in the answers we got was it was mainly, you know, drivers who have forged good careers in midfield cars, but they never really got got an opportunity to, uh, you know, get themselves in the top seat. Uh, I think Perez is the best example of that. You know, he's got, uh, I can't remember how many podiums. It's in double figures, though, I'm pretty sure. At teams that shouldn't really be up there, you know. I mean, mainly it's been at Force India, now known as Racing Point. Um Sophia Sauber back in the day as well. And yeah, I, I, it, it is a shame that he never really got the chance to have a top seat because I do think that he uh, he, he deserves it and he's good enough. Um, I don't feel the same about the driver that Timo Palkainen suggested. Um, he says, controversial one, Lance Stroll. Yes, daddy has loads of money and even bought his son an F1 team, but enormous hatred against Stroll makes him look like Alex Jung. Stroll isn't a winning driver, but he sure has some talent. Um, to be honest, I'm guilty of kind of seeing Lance Stroll as a pay driver. Um, when he first came into the sport, I did think, you know, maybe he's a talent. He came from doing pretty well in the junior categories. But yeah, after a season where, I mean, I'll never forget the qualifying gap between him and a Felipe Massa who was long past his peak about to retire. So yeah, I can't say I agree with this one. Um, how about you? Do you think Lance Stroll's underrated? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, yes, Lance Stroll did well in some of the junior series. Um, normally, if I remember correctly, not in his first season with them, but sort of once Dad's money and influence had played a role and helped him out. You know, the problem with Lance is he's never going to get past that. Unless he wins a world championship, he's never going to get past that part of he is a pay driver and to the extreme. I mean, his dad didn't just buy him a Formula 1 team. His dad also bought him a Formula 2 team to help him get the best that he could get. Uh, yeah, so Lance is Lance is not underrated. Um, yes, we are very harsh on him. I'm not going to deny that. But we kind of feel justified in it. Yeah, I think for me... 
I, it's not like I, I don't want him to do well, you know, but he'd be great, sure, you know, the more good young drivers we have around, the better. Um, but for me to kind of change my mind, I think he really has to, in the next few years, take it to Sergio Perez and beat him um, over the course of a season in terms of points. Uh, and a big issue, I think, is qualifying as well. Um, he, he often gains positions on race day, but I think it's largely because his qualifying so poor that he ends up far below where the car should be. So, yeah, I guess maybe his racecraft isn't bad, but in terms of his pace and qualifying, um, I think for me to change my mind, he really has to improve that. Um, on Facebook, the comment that caught my eye was a driver I didn't even think of, and to be honest, I loudly forgot he'd existed, let alone got himself a substantial number of, you know, top three results. Um, and that's uh, Nick Heidfeld, who was suggested by John Clay on Facebook. And it proved a pretty popular suggestion among among the people on Facebook as well. I mean, yeah, like I said, I'd completely kind of forgotten about him. Obviously, he he was kind of driving while I was getting into the sport, I guess. But, yeah, looking looking at it, he had some, some pretty good results in, again, in cars that weren't particularly, well, that weren't the, you know, the top of the class. Well, you could put Nick Heinfeld sort of in the same category as you and Carlo Fisichella. Um Yeah, they were underrated. Um, but, not the worst that's ever been in the sort of underrated category. Um, Nick was good. Giancarlo was good. Were they great? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I I, I think Heidfeld was good, and I, I do think he's underrated. Um, but I remember seeing the story that Mercedes were, for some the higher-ups that Mercedes uh, wanted Heidfeld in to replace Michael Schumacher instead of Lewis Hamilton. Um, I don't know whether it's because he's German or because he'd be in easy number two for Nico Rosberg. But, I mean, yeah, underrated, yes. Worthy of kind of that, that seat ahead of Lewis Hamilton. I can go ahead and say that Mercedes made the right choice going for Hamilton in that regard. Yeah, they, they definitely made the right choice. I mean, history says so. Um, I think the Nick thing, if, yeah, if I remember, that was, that was unfortunately more to do with the fact that he was German, that his name was being toted about. Um, whether it was seriously being mentioned... That we don't actually know. No, never will, I guess. Um, so that's what some of the some of our uh, readers and listeners think. So who have you gone for as your underrated driver? I'm going to have to go with the guy on the grid with the squarest jaw of them all, David Coulthard. <laughs> he was a Mr. Nice Guy on track, which unfortunately didn't always play into his favour. He's still a Mr. Nice Guy, if we're honest. Um, he, yeah... I mean, he was with McLaren for nine years. You don't drive for McLaren for nine years without having a serious amount of talent. Um, the problem with him, unfortunately, was that Mika Hackman was his teammate, and Mika was A, just that little bit better, and B, when David and Mika made deals, you know, David honoured them. There are many people who wonder what would happen if he had, if he had sort of pulled a Sebastian Vettel on his teammate back then. But yeah, I, I like David Coulthard. There's something about him, but he, yeah, he just never quite got there. Yeah, he was, when I did, um, an article last week looking at the best drivers to, to never win a world championship. Um, there are some obvious ones, you know, Sterling, the late Sterling Moss, for example, was an easy one and I think pretty comfortably the best. But, um, yeah, David Coulthard was another one that I, I didn't put in, but I, I considered it because, I mean, yeah, like you said, he had the misfortune of a rather good teammate. Um, and even outside of his team, he was just driving in 
a seriously strong field. His generation of Formula One, really. You know, that was also the kind of when Michael Schumacher began to assert his dominance on the field as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think he did do pretty well with, even with the wins and podiums he got, considering the kind of kind of drivers he was up against, really. Yeah, very much so. I mean, David, I mean, he also finished second in one year. He was third a couple of times as well in the Drivers' Championship. Um, He really was a guy who was right up there with the best. But unfortunately, like you said, the best at that stage was Michael Schumacher and Mika Hakkinen. And uh, they are arguably two of the best that's ever been. Yeah, yeah, there's no shame in losing to those two, I guess, is there? Um, so I've opted for uh, a guy who didn't quite win as many races, but he's someone who was kind of, he was around when I was getting into Formula One. And I, th- I think he just made everything so much more exciting. Um, and that is Kamui Kobayashi. Uh, I can't say I'm surprised to say that he hasn't been mentioned by anyone. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just think he, he he was obviously at Sauber alongside Kobayashi, um, alongside Sergio Perez in his best years. And I just remember his wheel-to-wheel racing. He was just so exciting. Yeah, he'd just go for these crazy overtakes, kind of, you know, was doing the Verstappen move before Verstappen was around, you know. Uh, I just think he made it so, so exciting with those kind of moves. And he, he did get some pretty good results as well. He got, obviously, his podium in Japan. Um and yeah, I just just think he was underrated by a lot of people. Yeah, again, not that I'm sure I put him on sort of my my list of the top ten, but he was an exciting driver to watch. Um, I seem to recall he was really good in the rain as well. And he just he had a certain flair to him that made him, like I said, fun. He's also done really well in like other series, like the World Endurance Championship and stuff like that. Um, you don't, and you don't win those without having an immense amount of talent to you. So yeah, Kobayashi was, uh, he was an interesting driver. Let's put it that way. Interesting guy, definitely. I had the strange pleasure of meeting him once while I was doing a guided tour of the Colosseum in Rome because uh, the name above my name on the sign-up sheet was Kamu Kobayashi, and you know, at first I thought, oh, maybe that's just a common Japanese name, but. I looked over and uh, realized it was him and was like, oh, hi, and fanboyed asked for a picture. And I can say that I've never seen someone look so bored in their entire life. You know, he was being taken a tour around this historic place and he just didn't look interested at all, really. But uh, yeah, at, at that point, he would, like you said, he was in World Endurance. Uh, he's just getting into it. And he's obviously done really well there. And I think for a driver to achieve success in that or any category outside of formula one really they have to be i mean yeah they've got to have something about them which i think he does and i think his reputation like a lot of drivers was damaged uh with the year at caterham where he just couldn't do anything you know um i think that happens a lot of drivers they go there and they look terrible when in fact it's the car but uh yeah that's who i've gone for um and I mean, another one maybe worth discussing would be the guy who kind of kicked off this whole discussion is um, Daniel Ricciardo. We had a few people talk about him and I do kind of agree. I think the year at Renault's maybe hurt his reputation, which is, I guess, his fault. He chose to go there. But I think he himself is quite an underrated driver, too. Yeah, I think Danny Rick's another one of those drivers who's just never been given the opportunity to jump into the top car. Um, I reckon if you were to put him in today's Mercedes, and yes, you could argue anybody could win in today's Mercedes, but if you were to put him in a really good car, um, I believe he would be fighting for the world title. Um, I think it would be interesting to ever see him versus Lewis Hamilton in the same car, to see who would 
who would come out tops in that battle. But yeah, again, as I said, uh, another really good driver who just hasn't had the right car at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, he, he he said in this diary entry that kicked it all off that he wouldn't reveal his five most overrated drivers, sadly, um, until he retires, which oh, I'm gutted about because I think that would just be so much fun. It'd kick off so much uh, so much scandal in, in the, within the paddock. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure he'll be releasing another entry soon. And well, yeah, if it's interesting enough, then maybe we'll discuss that too. Yeah, that's just about everything for today's episode. Uh, Michelle, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure, Finley. And thanks as always to everyone else for listening uh, and sending your comments. If you'd like to have yours read out here in the future, then keep an eye on our Facebook page, Planet F1, uh, as well as our Twitter account, Planet underscore F1. And uh, we'll be back soon for another episode. In the meantime, you can find everything Michelle, myself, and the rest of the team right on our site, planetf1.com. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and see you soon. Bye! At Maynooth University, our postgraduate courses know no bounds with over 70 full-time and part-time masters in everything from design innovation to data science and analytics. Your opportunities will be unlimited with small class sizes, access to leading academics and an immersive educational environment. The Virtual Postgraduate Information Roadshow from the 24th of May to the 11th of June. Register now at maynoothuniversity.ie. Maynooth University. Know no bounds. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.